0: So let's turn to the book of Romans, let's dive in here. Um, I don't want to keep preaching for 30 minutes, 45 minutes since that I've been doing, so I want to get moving, <laughs> but um, we're still in Romans 13, so the back end of the chapter, go ahead and turn there, and I just want to remind you, because this is a letter, because Romans is a letter, there's a progression to it, that means that context is really, really, really important. So it's always good when you're reading a, reading a letter in your personal quiet time or your study time of the Bible to know where you're at in the letter. So that's why I'm reminding you of this before we dive into this specific passage. But remember, in Romans 12, Paul started a new section that was going to unpack what it looks like, the gospel that he's explained and taught and wrote about in the first chapters of Romans, he's going to show how that influences and determines how a Christian acts in their everyday life. The gospel is something that changes your life. It's something that impacts and influences how you walk, how you live. This is a reality for Paul, and that's what he's showing us in here. And what he says in the very front end of chapter 2 is that the Christian's life will be marked as someone who lives his or her life in total dedication to God. We've said that for the past three weeks, but it's really important that we remember this is what he's saying, is these things that we're going to talk about are characteristics of what it looks like to live your life totally dedicated to God. So he's gone over some things of what happens in the everyday life of a Christian. He started by saying that a Christian will live in community that you'll be a part of the body, the body of Christ. And because of that, you'll also exercise a spiritual gift that you have. He went on to say that the Christian will be devoted to love and goodness. Are you a loving person? Are you someone who's devoted to goodness? Christians will also not pay back their enemies evil for evil, but they'll actually love their enemies. They'll pray for their enemies. This is, some, this is something that a Christian does in everyday life. You don't treat enemies like people to be hated or scorned or mocked. You love them and you pray for them. And he goes on to talk about how a Christian will submit to the government, to governing authorities. That because you understand the government is instituted by God, that out of your respect for God's authority, you'll respect the government's authority. He also said that the Christian will fulfill the law, the Mosaic law, the Torah, through love. The, the Christian will actually line up with the biblical story that we've seen. The Old Testament talks about how to please God, and how to fulfill the law. The Christian actually does that through love. And lastly, what we're going to talk about today, the Christian will live with moral urgency. Does everyone know what that means? Moral urgency in light of the times. So Paul's kind of going to summarize everything that, he's given with these characteristics by saying, now do them. Wake up and do them. It is time to live as you're supposed to live as a Christian. It is is time for you to live urgently. So wake up. So that's the passage that we're going to look at today. So everyone look here uh, or on the screen. Romans 13, starting in verse 11. Besides this, And Paul's saying, besides doing all these things, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but instead of all that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So that's what we're going to dive into today. But first, let me just pray, calm us down, make sure we're focused, distraction-free. Does anyone need a bathroom break? We're all good. Okay. Father, I thank you for this moment in your word and what it's going to teach us, what it's going to speak into our lives, not because we are simply trying to live a better life, but because we know as Christians, we are called to reflect you in our character. We are called to live on mission for you. And that, that concerns our holiness and our way of life. So God, I pray that you would take these next few minutes just to equip these students for that task. We know that only you can do it. Whatever needs to be said tonight, you speak it through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what's interesting is um, when I first sit down to study a text, one of the things I do is I look at the structure of it. I look at the different phrases that are in there, and I want to see how they're connected. That's one thing that you guys, I'm hoping you're learning through soaping and what we're doing on Wednesday night is that phrases and paragraphs are connected to each other. And usually you can find the meaning of the text by understanding how those phrases, how those clauses are connected. So the structure of the sentence of what Paul says is usually very important to to the meaning of the text. So I wanted to show you this tonight just to give you a glimpse of what it looks like to kind of break the structure down, hoping it helps you kind of in your studies. But this this text structure is kind of like a sandwich. You've got the bread, and you get the meat in the middle. but it, you, you start with something, he hits another reason, and then he hits it again at the end. So the first thing Paul says is, "Wake up." And, and really, looking at the Greek grammar of the sentence, he's saying, "Wake up and do everything that I've commanded you to do in chapters 12 through 13." And then he goes on to give the reasons why, in the middle, because the end is coming soon, and the end is near. And then at the end, he says, put on Christ and put off the works of darkness. And this is just simply how we should live out what he says in the first, first clause there. If we are going to wake up and do everything that he says to do, the general way to summarize that is to say, cast off works of darkness and put on Christ. So that's kind of the structure. But I always like to break it down for you guys with the what, the why, and the how. Really kind of clearly see what Paul's telling us. So what has Paul called us to? If we were to say, what is the main command, main teaching of this text? You could say, Paul is calling us to wake up. He is closing out this section of commands, and he's saying, wake up. Because listen, it is very, very easy to be passive, to just be hearers, to just know about these commands, to just memorize these commands, to just sit and have these commands shouted at you. But really, Paul is saying in order to properly treat these commands, in order to properly engage with what he's saying, you have to be awake. You have to be active. You have to be an agent. You have to do these things. You have to wake up. You can't simply just know about these things. You have to actually wake up and do them. Right? We have to be doers of the word. Is anyone really hard to wake up in the morning? I was like, everyone, every teenager in the room, right? So as a teenager, I was really difficult to wake up. Is anyone in here like my wife who, like, is, like, charging her battery at night, and she wakes up, and it's like, boom, go? Anyone like you, you Judd? That's good. That's a good quality. That means he's probably going to be successful in life. <laughs> there you go, Judd. But, look, my wife, she doesn't need coffee. She, I don't know where she gets all of her energy from, but... I am not easy to wake up, especially when I was in high school. Like, I, I vividly remember my dad coming in the room, like, opening the door, saying, time for church. And he shut the door, and then it's like, he come back a little bit later. Like, like, no, seriously, it's time for church. Wake up, right? Now, what's the most drastic thing that anyone's had done to them to wake up? Has anyone, like, gotten a bucket of ice water dumped on them? Yes, James, that's true. Sam, can you corroborate this? Oh, we're gonna to have to investigate, James. <laughs> Abby? What happened? you got an ice bucket? Yeah. So here you did it? <laughs> he doesn't remember. It's a little foggy. It's a little foggy. But anyway, what what the 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 main thing to understand is look, sometimes it's difficult to wake up and you need to be shaken, you need to be stirred. Some people need to be literally shaken. But That's the same thing Paul's doing here. He's waking he's shaking the readers of this letter saying, okay, don't just read this. Don't just sit there and read it. You need to wake up and do it. And I'll be honest, guys. I was spiritually asleep in church for a long time. I sat in some of the same chairs that you're sitting in, in this room as a student, and I would hear the commands of God. I would hear what God has called me to do, and I would just let it passively roll on. But here's the thing. In our church, we need need to be people that are woke. (laughs) We need to be people who are waking up, right? We need to be people who are awake, who are active. We cannot simply passively know about Jesus. We need to be alive and active and awake so as to live in the way that we're supposed to live. So that's what Paul does. He says, live, awake. Now, he gives a very specific reason why. And he says, because the end is near. Now this sounds very like apocalyptic, right? Like cue the asteroids and the zombies and all this other stuff. But listen, look, look at what he says at the second half of verse 11. Paul says that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Well, when he talks about the day, he's talking about something called the day of the Lord. This is usually at the end of the age. The minor prophets talk a lot about the day of the Lord. There's a cool Bible project video, I think, that actually talks about this theme. But really, what the day of the Lord is, it's the end of the age. It's where everything will fall into place as God has preordained it. It will be all um, consumed in God and his glory and lordship to Jesus Christ. And it's also the time where judgment will happen. So he's saying that day is closer than you think. That day is closer than you think. And he also says that salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. And as I, as I was studying this, this passage, it's actually last week, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Do you guys actually think that? Like, for me, I was like, I don't know if I think of salvation that way. I think I'm farther from salvation than I originally was. Do you know why I think that? Why we have that thought? because we, we think salvation is simply a past decision, right? If my salvation is when I learn to trust in Jesus, then I'm farther from that. I'm not closer to that. Does that make sense? Like, so when I think about salvation being nearer to me than when I first believed, you have to understand that salvation is not simply about a past decision you made. When Scripture talks about salvation, it talks about a past moment. It talks about something that's being worked out in you presently. And it's, it also talks about something that will happen to you in the future. So I just wanted to show you this in Scripture because it was really important to this text. There's actually three tenses. You know what like a tense is? Like past tense, present tense, future tense. There's three tenses of salvation. There's past salvation, which we talk about a lot, right? Scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, right? So you have been saved. As a Christian, you can say, I am saved. I have been saved. That was a definitive moment in your past where God has brought you from death to life, from light, from dark to light, right? You have been saved. But scripture also talks about present salvation, that you are being saved right now. In 1 Corinthians, it says the message of of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's a very similar verse in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about how we stand in our salvation and we're being carried along in our salvation right now. So we're presently being saved. Every moment that goes by, you're being saved. God is saving you again and again and again. And and, In Philippians, Paul talks about how you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So salvation is not simply something that happened. It's being worked out in you right now. Salvation is happening right now. But the good news is that will never end. Salvation will carry unto the future. In in Romans 5, Paul says, Since therefore we have been justified by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved. Right? That's future. We will be saved. So here's the the thing that I, I want you to understand. Salvation is not simply a decision that you made in the past. Salvation is something that was started in the past, continues now, and will continue into the future because of the work of Christ. You have to understand that, right? Because if you you only treat your salvation as a past decision, you won't live awake. You will not be awake and active. You will not work out your salvation. You'll simply treat it as something that happened. You won't engage in it, right? So that's why Paul is reminding us of our future salvation, because by reminding us of the future salvation that we have, He's urging us to work it out right now. So you guys have to be engaged. Your salvation is not something that simply happened to you. It's happening through you right now. The good news is God is the orchestrator, the author and perfecter of that whole process. And he will bring it to completion. But you have to understand salvation is not simply that something, something that happened to you. It's happening through you and it will continue on to the future. So the full experience of salvation, the full deliverance that we will have from this fallen world and our sin comes in the future. And that will, will understanding that will, will motivate you and compel you to work out your salvation today. Does that make sense? That's why Paul's using that reasoning here. Because understanding your future salvation motivates you to be awake, to wake up, And live like you're supposed to today. Okay, so. um, uh, Lastly, Paul doesn't just give us the reason. He gives us some more specific ways of how to live a life that's, that's awake. So how has Paul called Christians to do this? How does he say, wake up and do all these commands? He gives us some specific things, but the general way of saying it is, put on Christ and put off works of darkness. Before I get into the particulars, these two things go hand in hand. Okay, listen to me. You cannot defeat sin if you're not putting on Christ. You cannot just simply put on Christ, but yet live in sin. These two things go hand in hand. One of, one of my favorite bands uh, is called My Epic. One of the lines is, you can't keep living in darkness and not belong to the shadows." You can't keep living under the lordship of darkness and come to the light. So these two things have to happen ha- hand in hand. If you are, you are here, you're trying to read your Bible, right? You're trying to get in prayer. You're trying to do these spiritual disciplines. You're trying to come to church more. You're trying to put on Christ, be clothed in Christ. But at the same time, you're, you're struggling in that. And maybe, just maybe, it's because you're reserving some darkness in your life. You say, okay, I'll put on Christ, but I'm not going to cast off these dark works. Right? Or maybe you're just continually fighting sin. You're like, I want to get rid of this. I want to get rid of this sin in my life. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be a gossip. I don't want to be addicted to porn. I don't want to get into the party scene. You don't want all these things, but you're not pursuing Christ. You're going to fail. You're going to be continually broken because you're not seeing that these two things have to go hand in hand. You have to put on Christ and cast off darkness. But there's three pairs of sinfulness that Paul talks about here that I think is very interesting. Three pairs of sinfulness. The first is about orgies and drunkenness. We can kind of summarize these as wild parties. If you are going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, whose life is marked as totally dedicated to God, you will have nothing to do with parties of this sense. This will not be attractive to you. This will not be enjoyable to you. Listen, if you are in here and you're, you're in the party scene, or if you can't wait for the day when you go to college and you can be involved in the party scene, I'm telling you, it's not going to give you the satisfaction that you think it's going to give you. It's going to give you temporary pleasure, but it's not going to give you lasting, permanent joy. You're going to trade rags for riches. Wild parties, I'm not saying you can't have fun and have ugly Christmas sweater contests. (laughs) But these types of parties in the party scene, these are one of the biggest lies that's, that's told to high schoolers and college students that, listen, have fun now, you'll get responsible later. Right? You have fun now, you'll be responsible later. you have some kids and then you won't party anymore. But listen, what it's training your heart to do is to serve yourself before you serve God. And that habit that you create in your heart is hard to break. So listen, Paul says, cast those things off. You don't need those. Don't waste your life. And do not fall into the trap of saying, I'll follow you, God, once I'm done having fun. Don't fall into that trap. Number two, he gives this pair of sexual sins. He says, don't don't be involved in sexual immorality or sensuality. Sexual sin is one of the, the deepest and hardest sins to break. Because at the core of it, it's do you trust God's design of marriage and sex and relationships or do you, do you trust yourself? Do you trust God's design or do you trust yourself? So when you engage in sexual sin, you are telling God that you want immediate pleasure over lasting joy and that you trust in yourself more than you trust in God. So when you allow your lusts and your sexual desires to control you more than what God says and what His Word tells you. You're telling the world, this is what you're preaching to the world, you're telling the world that God isn't worth it and that He's not trustworthy. When you engage in sexual sins, you're saying that God is not worth it and He's not trustworthy. Listen, cast those things off. If you're going to be countercultural in our world today, if you're going to say, I'm a Christian, I stand for what God says, you're going to have to be different in regards to sexuality and sin, the sin that comes with it. You cannot float along in the streams of sexuality that our culture gives us and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Now listen, there, there is room for repentance and rebirth. There's room for healing and restoration. But you've got to cast those things off re- as soon as you can. Don't get, don't get wrapped up in there, in, in all of that mess. Seek God and, and other people for that healing. But cast those things off. You don't have time to, to meddle in that. And the last thing is communal discord. He talks about quarreling. Does anyone use the word quarreling today? It's like, man, she was really quarreling about me today. No? Yeah, Bo. Every time he comes home and he talks to Buddy, like, buddy, you'll never believe this girl quarreled, quarreled all the day. <laughs> quarreled all the day. Um, but really, what these sins are talking about, quarreling and jealousy, it's communal discord. And I think it's wrapped up in gossip and grudges, right? There's, there's a lot of things Paul could have listed here, like, I don't know, murder, stealing. Instead, he talks about quarreling and jealousy. Why? because these things are so toxic to community. Listen, nothing, hear me, nothing will tear the people in this room apart more than quarreling, gossip, and jealousy. You will not be in a good relationship with one another if we have a culture of quarreling about one another, if we have a culture of gossiping behind people's backs, of holding grudges for things that people don't even know about. All right, well, he bumped me in the hall the other day, and it's over. I'm never talking to him again, right? That sounds ridiculous, but seriously, guys, we have a community in here, a church community that should be an alternative to the communities that we see out in the world. We have a community that is thicker than blood. We are blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. We cannot allow quarreling, gossip, Grudges to tear our community apart, to to sow discord and to be toxic. We cannot have that. And Paul says we can't do that because we need to wake up, right? The more and more we're concerned about quarreling and gossip and jealousy in here, the less and less we're reaching our community with the gospel. So we cannot be an effective witness in the world if we're so consumed about he said, she said, This attitude, that attitude, in this room and quarreling and all that stuff. We can't. Now listen, there is a time and a place to address people and say, hey, look, you offended me, this happened, we got into an argument. But you that those stuff, that stuff needs to get dealt with. Right? Paul's saying you need to cast off quarreling and jealousy, and putting on Christ means you put on the armor of light, you bring those things to light you talk them out as brothers and sisters in Christ. So listen, these three pairs of sinfulness can tear our community apart. They can, they can derail you in your desire to, to wake up and live as Christ has called you to live. So so, instead of giving you a whole list of applications, I'm just going to leave you this, this kind of one thought, and then uh, we'll go from there. But this is kind of Paul's summary, right? If you, want, if you want to kind of summarize everything, he's saying, Wake up, because the end is near. Therefore, cast off wild parties, sexual sin, communal discord, and put on Christ. That's what he's calling us to, to do in this passage. And listen, putting on Christ and casting off darkness and sin requires action. It requires intentionality. Those things don't just happen. Right? We don't just wake up one day and be like, wow, it's amazing. I don't struggle with that anymore. right? Now, God can absolutely do that. But the typical way, the normal way that we go through life, we have to work and struggle through these things. And that's for our good. God is giving us grace to do that. But here's here's my point. You have to be intentional about this. You have to, to have active engagement. You have to have energy in doing this. And you will not slumber your way into putting on Christ. You have to be active. And in order to be active, you need to wake up. Right? You need to be awake and realize what the world is all about, what the center of your existence is all about, and push forward. So here's, here's the one final thought I'll leave you with. Even as Christians, we are forgetful people who need, who need wake-up calls every single day when I say wake-up calls, is you need, to, you need to sit there and understand, right, as you open up Scripture, as you're in prayers, and you're, as you're in a small group of other believers, as you're here on Sunday night or on Sunday morning, that's a wake-up call. God is saying, look, this is what the world's all about. The world is all about the gospel. This is the reality that you should be aligning your life to. But see, every, every other day when you're at school when you're scrolling through social media, when you're well, watching the news. Hopefully you guys don't watch the news. It's very depressing. <laughs> don't, yeah. As you're doing those things, what it's telling you is all these things are important. All of these things are very, very important. This is what your life's about. It's about American comfort and materialism. That's what you're being preached at every day. And you need a wake-up call every single day to say, my life is one that should be connected to the gospel, and that should be, be what I need. That should be what my life is center, centered around. So as the band comes up, I want to give you guys an opportunity just to have that wake-up call. Right? I want you guys to really sit there and, and maybe pray with the people around you, but just to ask the questions, really, God, I want my life to be centered around your gospel? Is my life centered around your gospel? What areas of my life do I need to cast off? What areas of putting on Christ do I need to be engaged in? Right? So I want to give you guys that moment, but but listen, hear me. Paul talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. When he says that you are a Christian, he also says that you have put on Christ. That's a reality for you. If you are a Christian, you are clothed in Christ already. When the Father looks down on you, he doesn't see all your mistakes. He doesn't see all your problems. He doesn't see all your sins. What he looks down and sees, he sees the perfect, accomplished work of Jesus Christ. You've been clothed in Christ. It's amazing. You'll find no other gospel like it. But the other reality is, and Paul says this too, is that you need to put on Christ. So although we've been clothed in Christ, we're perfect in His sight, God has also called us to actively engage in that. So there are areas of your life where God is calling you to put on Christ, cast off darkness. And I want you to consider those things. But listen, the first thing you need to do is make sure you have been woken up, awakened to the reality of the gospel. Is the gospel real to you?